You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Let's go to uh, Tim Heiling, emailed in at LockdownBucks at gmail.com. What rotation changes do you guys foresee when Ersan returns from injury? Do you think DJ has played himself into a permanent spot in the rotation, regardless of what Ersan's status is? And then will Thon just not play anymore? Uh, I feel like Thon's peaks can be very high. The last Boston game, for example, but DJ's consistent rebounding defense thus far is what we need most from those backup power forward center spots. Um, I mean, I think this is this is something I struggle with, is that we just talk playoff rotation, right? Um, so going through that, like I think you can very clearly see, like you're going to play the starters this many minutes. You're going to probably going to need this many minutes to fill. Like you can do all of this very clearly. Um a regular season rotation, it's changed three times already, right? Like to start the season, Dante was was the wing guy. Then eight games in, nine games in, it turned to Pat. And then uh, that was about Pat for about 10 games. And then it was Sterling again. Um, and then same thing with DJ Wilson. Christian Wood was there at first. And then uh, Thon was out and now he's in. And DJ Wilson, so like... Uh, I, I always struggle with regular season rotation changes because I just think in some ways those things figure themselves out. Like certain guys get injured, certain guys get hot, certain guys play well, and, and you kind of do all those things. I think where it gets tough to me is saying, like, does someone get a permanent spot in the rotation? Like, I think Urson has, has proven enough to Mike Boonholzer, <laughs> certainly maybe, maybe not to, to other people, but to Mike Boonholzer that when he is ready to go and it sounds like he's gonna be ready to go this weekend. Like I think he'll be back in the rotation and yeah, then I think it does become a bit of a crunch for, for DJ and Thon. And, you know, I think in some ways maybe Mike Boonholzer doesn't feel that bad about it because, you know, they got their chance, they performed and, you know, if they call on him again, either of those guys, they'll, they'll be able to do so. So, um, I know that's a total non-answer, but that's largely what my answer is when, I think about regular season rotations. Like I just think that there's enough small injuries throughout a season that all of those things, like if you play well enough, you're going to, your number is going to get called again. Like I I just think, especially in bud system, that's going to kind of be how it works. It's not quite as crazy as Deandre fucking Liggins playing a lot last year. Like it's not, it's not quite that crazy. Um, But I do think with bud, you're probably going to get another chance if you deserve it. Yeah. I mean, I think all the examples you mentioned, um, you know, what we saw was that guys who got hurt did not just like rotation guys who got hurt, just did not get to reclaim their spots when they came back. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. if Ursan was just like another guy who just was sort of here and didn't have any history with bud, I would say, well, you know, he's probably just going to have to 
rely on, you know, getting a random opportunity and battling his way back in the rotation. And I think it probably would more likely, I think he maybe would have a better chance of doing that at Thon's expense than, um, than TJ's expense right now. Um, but um, I think it's worth mentioning what you, what you said that, you know, Ursan and Bud have, have history and, um, you know, there's going to be a level of trust there that, you know, I think understandably you shouldn't have with, with some of these other guys. And um, I mean, I would say this, um, I would, I would probably say I would rather, um, I would rather give uh, kind of let Ursan maybe get back in rotation by taking some of Thon's minutes, which is kind of harder to do just because Thon is obviously still playing more center than power forward. Um, especially with DJ back now. Um, although mm-hmm. both those guys have played kind of both, both for the four and five spots. Um, but, you know, I mean, Ursan had some struggles, you know, even like, I mean, he's been dealing with injuries and kind of was in and out of the lineup. Um, you know, even, uh, even well before this, like even late November, he started to have some injury issues. Um, and so he missed two games, came back, played 20 minutes in the win of the Bulls on November 28th, then missed another two games, then came back and played between 13 and 21 minutes for four straight games, uh, even though for a lot of that stretch, he had some really, really bad shooting games. So um, I would say it's probably more likely than not that you know we'll see him back. Maybe it's not in game one, um, but we'll see him back in the rotation and um, you know, worth mentioning, we mentioned the other night, like thus far, DJ and Giannis have not really shown really any kind of clear kind of positive sort of, um, I don't want to say chemistry because I think it's a lot of, it's just noise, but in the small sample they've been together, they have not kind of that, those lineups, Ooh. the four or five lineups with Giannis and DJ have not really actually had any type of real obvious advantage. I've been just like a barely positive lineup, um, with Ursan and Giannis, um, that's like been the only other really kind of small combination we've seen with any type of volume and those two guys without a center have been plus 12.4 points per 100 this year in 254 possessions so there's a bit more of a sample there so um i think you could credibly see you know bud run out maybe maybe it's like you know and i i don't i don't know i don't have a lot of confidence in this but but that might be one option is that maybe he puts Thon on ice for a little bit, um, continues to give DJ the minutes given that, I mean, DJ has been the first, you know, sub, I think from the, among the big guys typically coming in for Giannis who leaves, you know, usually about midway through mm-hmm. the first quarter. Um, so I think that, um, I think that, that to me would probably be the, maybe if I had to guess that might be the most obvious thing, but who knows, maybe he likes what he's seen from Thon enough that, um, that he makes it a little harder for Ursan to get minutes back. Also keep in mind too, I mean, early in the season, we saw Ursan, Giannis, and a big man playing together a little bit. Um, so that might be another option too. Although yeah. um, with, you know, the log jam now at, at kind of the wing spots, uh, you know, throwing George Hill into the mix in the backcourt and then, you know, having Snell continue to play consistently and then Sterling kind of taking, you know, the Connaughton slash, um, uh, DiVincenzo minutes, you have less, I think, flexibility to to kind of you know throw or Giannis in at, at small forward. So, um, so I think it's gonna be interesting to watch. But I think you know the mere fact that DJ and Thon have you know forced um, Bud <laughs> to actually think twice is is obviously a positive thing. Yeah, that it, that this is a question is, uh, I mean, I think a, a pretty obvious. Uh, positive development and it leads us into our next series of series of questions um i have let's see rick and kurt leitner and justin superbuck um all very curious why thonmaker gets minutes 
Um, the nicer version of that question comes from Zach Vinson, who hit us up at lockdownbucks at gmail.com and asked, I remember you guys talking a lot early in Thon's career about his floor versus ceiling. Your take was that a lot of people were overestimating the ceiling, but that he actually had a high floor due to shooting, shot blocking, and energy. How would you reevaluate that take a couple of years into the Thon gingerbread hands experience? Um, so this is what I'll say. Um <laughs> You, you, you're, you're, you're take, you, you, man, you really take the gingerbread references really hard with Thon, man. You, you really have a heart when it comes to, uh, to, to us jerks use throwing the, that joke around, don't you? Yeah. Like I just, I've never seen someone be a positive on the floor in the way that Thon Maker is this year and just get shit on <laughs> so much. Like every fucking time he drops a ball, there's, 80 tweets about it and it's like okay that's great like can there be 80 tweets about the corner three he hit can there be 80 tweets about the defensive rotation that he had can there be 80 tweets about uh i think his defense the bucks defensive rating with him on the floor is 95 this season and granted yeah the the offense is 104 um but that's still a positive net rating of nine and we had a question i can't remember who asked it they're curious what the numbers we're talking about use. Um, offense rating, defense rating, net rating. That is all per possession based. So that would be uh, offense per 100 possessions. You're scoring per 100 possessions. So that controls a little bit for pace rather than per game statistics. So that gives you a little bit more accurate of a viewpoint. Um, so th- that's a quick primer on offense rating, defense rating, net rating. But, you know, like with Thon, it's just like, I get it, guys. Like, I see him drop balls, too. <laughs> and also, I would say, I think both you and I were pretty early uh, on this, uh, on this development that Thon just doesn't catch basketballs. Um, so, like, I've been here for a while. Um, but, like, the dude has just been a, a solid rotation player this year. Like, I know that he wasn't in the rotation to start the season, but he's now in a spot where he's appeared in 28 of 36. He's played 12 minutes per game. Uh, and across those minutes, he's solid. Like, I, I, I don't really know. Like, uh, I know DJ Wilson being solid is really exciting at the moment, but, Thon Maker being solid is let's shit on Thon Maker. I like I I don't understand the. I mean I do in some ways like okay this is an exciting development with DJ but I think it should still be exciting with Thon that you found someone that you know is solid like I I don't I don't know I really struggle with it because again I I understand how often he drops basketballs but I also see a guy who's been pretty solid when he plays this year. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, his um, you know, the 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 big concern with thought ultimately for me was just like for all the flashes and all that, they were just. I mean, he just had seemingly such a clear negative effect on the team. Like, just it just didn't add up to anything the last couple of years. Um, and you know, you mentioned the numbers this year. Like, they've been a good team with him on the court, and not just that, but they've actually been slightly better with him on the court than off the court, which is probably the, the true measure. Because I mean, I think like everybody who has like put on a Bucks uniform this year for any type of minutes, like <laughs> pretty much minutes, you know, like, yeah, I mean, you can kind of just free ride off of Giannis and, and company to, to that. Um, 
it's interesting with Thon's defensive numbers this year because you mentioned that you know the the kind of net rating is really good, but it's it's so bizarre looking at like the splits of like where shots come and and some of that stuff because you know overall opponent effective field goal percentage he's had like the the, the Bucks have been way better with him on the court than off um, minus five point five percent I mean that's terrific, um, but the weirdest thing is like he's in the one like the first percentile of which is bad <laughs> of like opponent shot frequency at the rim like like six percent more shots at the rim with the point which again like i'm not saying that this is like all thon's fault um but it's really bizarre to look at because um they they force like or they they allow like a ton more shots at the rim which has always been kind of a case when thon's been on the court like teams mm-hmm. get tons of layups but teams don't make any laps like they've been like way better with him at defending the rim when he's been on the court which is obviously i'd say like a very encouraging sign obviously because i mean he's a guy who is generally defending near the basket so like he actually deserves Ooh. some credit there i think the area where i think a lot of the a lot of his like the defensive success is noise is when you look at the three point percentage numbers the bucks have defended the three at like a terrific rate when he's been on the court, like opponents, you like 30%. And when he's off the court, it's like 37%. And look, I get it. Like we, you could say, well, it's because maybe cause like Thon can test well or whatever, but they also like give up more three point attempts, which to me doesn't say that like, Oh, like Probably they're just, hand hand. yeah. Like they're not just like locking teams down or something like that. So I think if you like did like a luck adjustment and, I'll I'll throw up the Dean Maniat sign to go figure this out for me because I'm you know too lazy and incapable of doing it myself. But <laughs> I, I imagine if you did like a luck adjusted rating on Thon's defense, like there's just a lot of noise and that opponents just have happened to miss three point shots when he's been on the court versus some of the other guys in the rotation. Um, but even so, I mean, like, whatever, like, you know, his RPM is zero this year, which is a dramatic, drastic improvement on what it's been in the past. He has a positive PIPM, which is player impact plus minus, which is kind of, a, I don't want to call it another variant of RPM, but um, uh, Jacob Goldstein on Twitter uh, puts together PIPM. And I, I won't get into it, but I know a lot of um, people who are much smarter about analytics than I am leave it to be a better measure as well. So Thon's been a, a, I think a plus 1.3 there. So, um, so yeah, I mean, he's been, I think a minimum like a, you know, like neutral type type guy on the court and, you know, especially for a backup, like that's, that's a positive thing. And it, it is interesting because I mean, like recently I looked at his like shooting splits and he was shooting like 38% from three. And I was like, Oh yeah. I mean, that's, if he's shooting 38%, like, I get why he's playing and then he's missed his last 10 threes and now he's down to 33% again. So it just sort of shows you how like sample sizes can kind of quickly turn on you. Um, But obviously he's kind of made enough that, I mean, he's still 55% true shooting, which is bad by buck standards, but kind of average and by league standards. The thing Um, that kills me is 33% is 5% better than Pat Connaughton. And every night people are asking me where Pat Connaughton is, but like, that's better than Pat Compton. Like that's why Pat Compton doesn't play. Yeah. Oh, and that's the thing too. I don't. I, and I agree. Like I, I, I would love to have a reason to play Pat Connaughton, but like, if you go for like a month without being able to hit a three point shot, and you're like a really high volume three point shooter, like makes it hard to play you. Like you, know, <laughs> like you gotta make some shots at some point, dude. Um. So yeah, slight slight diversion there, but um. But yeah, I mean, I give I give on a lot of credit. I mean, I think. He is definitely a good example of a guy who has, you know, like pretty much everybody else, like all these role players. Um, I don't know how much of it is him 
you know, taking the vitamins or whatever and like really developing versus just being in a better system and just, you know, kind of functioning more properly and like having maybe his, his faults kind of covered up a little bit more by, by the system. Um, but I mean, we've talked about as well. I mean, it's not like the system sort of exploits defense, especially defensively, like what you would say are his like clear strengths. Right. I mean, we talked a lot about how yes. him not being like, not switching probably is, is underutilizing his, his defensive ability. So, um, so yeah, it's uh it's an, an interesting thing. I, I will also, I think of the one other kind of thing, one area where we really hasn't, um, he really has not improved. Unfortunately, is is rebounding, and and to me, like that, that's always been probably a a bigger concern of mine more than just like the whole like can't catch a lob that that type stuff. Just because mm-hmm. I think we've always talked like offensively, it's really just if he hits threes, it like almost doesn't matter what else he does. Um, offensively, um, but like when you look at defensively, like you know, defensive rebound rate or sorry, offensive rebound, right? He's in the first percentile. He's always been bad. Like, and, and I think we talked about this the other day. Like, it's just like weird that he never yeah. gets offensive rebounds. I mean, and part of it is because he shoots threes, but like, <laughs> never. Like, he never even seems to be able to tip it to, to somebody. Like, no, he doesn't like stumble into one. No, know. like it just, like, it, it just happen. never happens. Like he's in the, he's in the absolute bottom in terms of his impact, you know, what on off with for offensive rebounds and then defensive rebounds. Last year, he was in the second percentile, which is almost as bad as it gets this year. He's in the 22nd, <laughs> um, which is probably also like a, a good, uh, it gets a better sign because this year the Bucks are actually are really good. They, they're the best rebounding team in the league defensively. So, um, so being like making the Bucks work on the defensive glass isn't nearly as damning as it was last year when the bucks were hor- horrible yeah um so i mean there's definitely been some improvement there but yeah i mean i would say he is i would say he's kind of approaching a little bit like kind of what we thought but i think the big difference is like you know we always like hope that he could be like a starter who basically did what brooke lopez does now <laughs> um yep. But um, but then would be you know obviously more mobile, and instead like the Bucks play a system that I think accentuates like what Brook does well, especially defensively, um, and you know you don't even really need Thon to be a starter or be in that kind of pressure situation, and um, I think that's definitely a good thing for the Bucks, right? Because I don't think anybody, even if you love Thon, I don't think anybody's going to say that he's better than Brook Lopez. Um, now. Might there be some matchups in the playoffs where Thon actually becomes pretty damn important because of, you know, some of the limitations that Brooke might have, you know, mobility wise? Absolutely. Like that's very possible. Um, but certainly from just a regular season perspective, um, let's just say I think it's it's very good that we're in a position where we're not expecting Thon to have to be a starter. Yeah. And and I, that was the other thing I was thinking about too, where where you'd mentioned just kind of uh, I think the the problems that we had with Thon blowing up at the start of the year, like, you know, a lot of people had asked us, uh, like, is this going to be the breakout year with Thon? He gets to be with Mike Budenholzer. And it was like, well, offensively it might be, but defensively, like, this is going to be a real struggle with Thon. And I mean, and again, uh, I understand all of the caveats and everyone can throw all of those in, but, you know, to get, 12 or I don't even know what it is 12 or 15 solid rotation minutes out of him like and he's been asked to play in a system that that doesn't do him any favors really um you know I think that's that's kind of I think it's again I just think it's solid um but yeah like I get it he doesn't catch basketballs um so it, it can be tough to look at all of those other things um 
I'm trying to think is if there's anything else with Thon uh, that I that I was thinking about. Um, we had I'm thawed out. <laughs> uh, I was thawed out before we I, started the question. Yeah, I, I also think I also think it's part part of it too. It's just because like you know Thon every spring makes you hope that he could be the long term starter in a role playing perspective, a role yeah. playing capacity at least, and then kind of just disappoints you in the regular season. And then this year he finally like nobody even thought he was going to be a starter. Um, so at least like you would have thought that would hopefully make, you know, people a little more realistic about what to expect um, versus a guy like DJ who like, you know, all of us, including of course me as much as anyone had just like completely buried. So our expectations were just like so, mm-hmm. so incredibly low. Um, whereas Thon, I think is always sort of, even though he wasn't expected to start this year, I think has continued to kind of carry some of that like disappointment. Yeah, some of that disappointment of the fact that like he just never quite, even though the bar really wasn't that high for what he was asked to do, it just sort of hasn't, just hasn't kind of kind of gotten there ever. And you know, I think, I think there was more, I think there was more question about, and we didn't, it wasn't really from us, but I was actually, I found it interesting how much. Let's just say this: it seems like the Bucks might have thought more about um, whether to pick up his last year, last year of his rookie contract team option than maybe we did. Um, even though we're not obviously like huge Thon stands, but, um, but it, it's interesting because, you know, I don't, I don't think they were necessarily like believing that Thon was always inevitably going to get it. Um, even though I think everybody in the organization loves him as a person. Yeah. And I do think in some ways Thon is just always going to be cursed by one being the next seven foot, mystery man that the bucks drafted that everyone's like oh he's the next Giannis." no matter how hard you and i yelled about it on draft night like he is not Giannis. don't think that like stop thinking that think about his floor don't think about his ceiling uh even with all of that like i just think people couldn't help themselves and then you had kg coming in saying he was going to be an mvp and it was just like i mean at the time we I mean, on this podcast, we said you're delusional. Like, what, what are you talking about? He's very clearly not going to be an MVP. But I think all of that leads to uh, higher expectations. And then when those expectations don't get met, uh, more angry feelings, probably, I think, in some ways. So, um, all right, we got two more here that we'll try to knock out tonight. And I honestly think we've gone long enough that this is going to be our Friday podcast. And maybe we'll have to bump some of the mailbag till next week, but that's okay. Um, had a couple people ask Eric J, Milltown KLA, uh, your favorite Muppet Babies, uh, Jacob, um, all ask about George Hill. And I mean, there's a number of questions about them. Uh, I think we've kind of answered some of those questions, but also haven't hit on all of them yet. What, so what, is, what does his future in Milwaukee look like? Uh, could they keep him next year, even after waiving him? Because we know he does have uh, a $19 million option that the Bucks will not be uh, picking up. But uh, they will obviously have to pay that $1 million to waive him. And then also maybe they could sign him. I don't know. Frank, you're better at cap stuff than I. Um, so if they can keep him, what would that look like? Or someone asks, like, could he get traded at the deadline? Like, he is a big piece of of cap uh of cap, uh, I don't even know, cap capital, I suppose, um, just because he, he does have such a large salary. Um, what, what do you think about just the idea? I, I don't think he could be traded at the deadline, but what do you think about him, you know, extending his stay in Milwaukee beyond this year? Yeah, and to be clear, I mean, you, you know, you, I, I don't, you're not saying that he 
can't legally be traded at the deadline, but just that you don't think he will be right. That Correct. practically speaking. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would agree. I don't, I mean, it's hard to trade a guy who makes, you know, upwards of $20 million um, in any type of scenario. And that as an expiring contract, that can be useful if you are trying to make a huge move, but uh, you'd have to have a lot of, other, you'd have to have other pieces involved. Cause I mean, George Hill on his own, isn't going to fetch you like some valuable $20 million your player or something like that. And if you do, if you were to acquire future salary, then all the benefit of, you know, the Henson Delvadova dump, um, mm-hmm. I don't want to say it goes out the window, um, but it means that you're going to have to sacrifice something else, right? Like, yep. and and so that would have to be kind of figured out. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think I would be very surprised if there's any course of action for George Hill in Milwaukee, other than he plays out the season and then is waived on July 1st. Um, could he come back? Um, I would say it's possible. I don't think he's going to get, you know, I mean, it depends how he plays the rest of the season here in Milwaukee and what he looks like in the playoffs, but I don't think he's going to get some huge contract to go be a starter somewhere. So what about um, this? Before you continue, um, I've had this thrown at me in the last few weeks. Um, the idea that you waive George Hill, like you just said, and then you decide bring that him back. you're going to bring him back, but you're not going to bring back Eric Bledsoe, that you're going to bring back George Hill and Malcolm Brogdon, and that'll be your kind of point guard rotation, uh, and that'll be how you you decide to use your money this summer. I mean, I guess in the absence of you know not knowing, you know, if if, if basically your net team changes just that you lost Eric Bledsoe next year, then I think you're obviously in a worse spot talent wise. Um, so you know, it's pretty unsatisfying in that respect. Um, now, if you you know, as we mentioned, I mean, if you if Bledsoe walk or if, you know if Bledsoe just decides that he's going to leave, right? He is sick of Milwaukee for some reason or whatever, um, and you can't do anything about it, then. Um, you know, I think there's certainly an argument that, um, well, if you can't go and get like a big fish, uh, and obviously Kemba Walker isn't the only, you know, it's not like the only two options are Kemba Walker and George Hill in that scenario. Um, sure. But, uh, you know, if, if you're in that kind of position, um, certainly there are worse options than George Hill, especially if, um, you know, something, you know, if, especially if you went for kind of a, a short-term deal, right? If you just gave him like a one-year uh, contract or something like that. So, um, I, yeah, I, I guess the, I think those scenarios are, are, are out there. Um, I think the challenge though, is, I mean, if, if you do bring back the current roster or if you replace Bledsoe, for instance, with, you know, a big name signing, um, then, you know, you, you only have, uh, First off, in that scenario, if you if you use cap space, then you don't have the mid level exception. You'd have the room mid level, which is whatever it is, five million bucks or something like that. So then all of a sudden you have, you know, less flexibility. Probably, um, you know, you, you might have needed to use your cap space to resign Brook Lopez. So you know, are you using your room mid level to try to bring back just George Hill? There's a whole bunch of different permutations, but um, it becomes more complicated. And I think the bottom line is like a scenario where you basically bring back the current team and use the mid-level to, you know, you operate over the cap and then you use the mid-level to bring back Lopez makes it extremely hard to find a way to keep George Hill. Cause then you basically don't have really any type of exception to use to, to re-sign him. So unless he's willing to take the minimum, which I'm guessing he's not going to have to do that. Um, you know, it, it'd be very difficult. So again, like I just think the 
most likely scenario is that uh, he plays out the season. You know, he provides you some valuable depth, uh, especially down the stretch and injury insurance for the point guards. And then um, most likely he's gone in July, which again is another reason why, you know, kind of what you've mentioned about like, you know, do you do anything to kind of reduce your, your peak potential or whatever? Um, There's an argument that, you know, again, especially because of, of Hill and having him, depending on how you, how valuable you consider him, depending on how well he plays, you know, again, like this, I don't want to say this could be peak Bucks, but I mean this this team could be the mm-hmm. best Bucks team that um, that you have to surround Giannis with over the next few years because you know especially if Middleton and Bledsoe get worse rather than better given age and things like that um, you know Lopez all those guys are you know not early in like they're still getting better age ranges you know other guys like including Giannis could obviously still get better and you hope they do um, but again just from like a cat math perspective you know, this could be the most talented team that, that Giannis plays with here. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't think that's, that's crazy at all. Like, I think as, as you think of everyone getting raises uh, in that starting lineup, uh, I mean, you know, when you think of the bargain that you have Lopez at, and I know George Hill isn't a bargain at 19 million, but he is a bargain in Matthew Dellavedova and John Henson's spot yep. uh, that, that you're getting considerably more valuable uh, more value out of that. So yeah, I do think, you know, it, it is really interesting to think about, but yeah, I would agree. Um, I don't think it's particularly likely he gets packaged in a deal at the deadline. He can, the, the Bucks made that trade early enough that he could do that. Um, but I don't think he gets packaged at the deadline. And yeah, it seems unlikely that, that they end up bringing him back next year. Um, I mean, I think it would take some real outlandish offer for I don't even know Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon, like, and then it would be Bud trying to find a guy that he trusts. Um, obviously, we saw him do that a little bit with Urson this this past summer, where uh, obviously he was a big part of making sure Urson ended up back on his team and in, in Milwaukee. And uh, I'd be curious, you know, if if things go not okay with Eric Bledsoe, and you know, we we've talked about already a, a, a possible poor playoff performance that happened last year. Maybe it happens again. And then you're not interested. Maybe George Hill fits into that, that calculus in some way, but I don't know. Ultimately I agree with you. I think it seems, seems pretty unlikely uh, that he would be back. All right. Uh, and keep it. And one, one thing to note, I mean, Bud and him do have history going back to when he was with the Spurs. So, you know, there's maybe a little bit more trust, a little more relationship there than just, you know, if he was just a random guy who mm-hmm. showed up, um, you know, halfway through the season, but Again, hard to say, hard to really project. I, he's one of those really interesting guys. Just, I don't really know what the market for him would be. Um, you know, but he would certainly be potentially like a really interesting guy. Even if there's no starting job for him out there, he could certainly be a really interesting guy that maybe, uh, you know, a good team with, you know, uh, a, a random exception has that, you know, to target. Um, but I mean, I'm tough. curious I mean, if he's like next year's Brooke Lopez, like if that. Like in the shakeout of him getting way overpaid in the last little while, all of a sudden he's just like around and some team adds him. I think he's probably too good for that. And I think he's probably going to have too good of an end of a season just because Bud trusts him so much and Bud might let him close some games. But uh, ultimately, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, in that scenario, I mean, you know, maybe he gets like a one year mid level, you mm-hmm. know, $9 million contract or something like that. Right. I mean, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I just, I, I don't foresee, you know, him getting the, Fifteen million dollar a year type deal, just because yeah. I just, I just don't know where he would start really, and that's really the question. I mean, <laughs> Milwaukee might be his best chance of starting if in the kind of like Bledsoe 
you know goes someplace else scenario but even there you know i don't i don't know how much he's getting paid and at 32 years old obviously there's you know aging concerns there as well All right, let's do this last one. This isn't the last one that we received. Obviously, you guys just just gave us way too many questions, um, which thank you for all of that. That's very nice. And you know, maybe we'll see if we can sneak another mailbag in here from time to time. But um, Trevor Matthews asks, as an international Bucks fan, I'm interested in what this start to the season has done to the profile of the team in Milwaukee and Wisconsin more broadly. As someone who has only seen the Bucks live four times in my life, uh, in parentheses, four, four losses, which... Oh, that's very Bucksy. Um, including, Sorry, an, including an 87 86 rock fight in Charlotte against the Bobcats in 2011, after which Andrew Bogut refused to give me an autograph. Oh, that's <laughs> sad. Um, I'm really interested in how big a deal the team is in the state and what this season has meant for the level of local support. And um, I mean, Frank, uh, I can cap this one, but I'll let you go first. Obviously, you were here and you got to be a fan. Uh, more recently than I like obviously I'm in the arena I can kind of speak to it but um, I mean you got to be a fan a few weeks ago what did you think of your your Pfizer forum experience and you know the crowd and and all of those things well I had one major beef I was waiting for a chance to bring this up this really isn't the appropriate time but I'll bring it up anyway my my one major beef with Pfizer forum is um, so I don't think they have straws anywhere in the building because you know straws are now like whatever evil Mm -hmm somebody decided that was like going to be a crusade uh anyway so we don't have straws in the building and so since there are no straws there are no cup tops you know that like prevent things from falling out of cups um that would be problematic enough from a general uh you know risk standpoint uh you know to quote uh big lebowski like there's a beverage here man um so (laughs) lots of concerns with jostling and things like that spilling of of drinks um which I guess has now always been an issue for beers because beers don't have, you know, you don't drink beer with a yeah. straw. So whatever beer drinkers, this is nothing new, but I'm not a, really a beer drinker. I'm usually having a soda at a game. Um, but the combination of no tops and some just, I don't know. I don't know if you've seen the cup holders in Pfizer form, Eric. I have not. They are some shallow as hell cup holders. And I, I swear mm. to God, I sat down and I talked to I told my wife um, when Kate and I went to the game um, against the Pelicans. And I said, these cup holders are ridiculous. Like there, there's like no depth in these. I don't feel secure at all. And then you top it off. It's a freaking cup without a top on it. Just feel like, sure. I was, felt like I was playing with fire all game long. And then sure enough, keep in mind, I was having a diet Coke or whatever. So not even, you know, imbibing any, any beverages here that would make me, you know, lose my uh, body, body controls or something like that. But um, at one point, you're equal. At, sure. one, at one point, yeah, not bodily functions, not the terms I was looking for, but, um, <laughs> but that's what, um, <laughs> But something exciting happens. I get up and whack, my drink gets spilled all over the back of my seat. And I was like, yep, that was predictable. No straw, no cup top, dangerously low cup holders. It's like the freaking designers and, you know, people were just, you know, trying to get me to flip a a cup over and and whatever. Fortunately, I had on a waterproof jacket that I was still wearing at the time. So it kind of mitigated the damage. But um, that aside, I think there is, I mean, and obviously I'm biased because when I go home, I'm around people who care about the Bucks. I my main um, social activity was doing the live pod, so that was not a representative yeah. sample of people. Um, but the fact that we could fill up, you know, um, the Broken Bat Brewery with people who just wanted to hear us talk about the Bucks, 
the fact that I think the latest I heard was that the Bucks had sold out 15 out of 20 dates this year, um, yep. which is, again, it's a slightly smaller arena, but I mean, they're, what, the last couple games, they've been around 18,000, which is above capacity by hundreds. Um, clearly, uh, there people are more interested than ever in going to games. I mean, ticket prices haven't gotten cheaper. Um, so the demand for the product, I think, is clearly going up. I'm sure, I'm curious to see what happens when the like TV ratings, like the local TV rating stuff comes out. They usually have like a, you know, a story sometime during the season about how much, you know, local um, cable TV ratings are up or down for every team. I'm sure the Bucks are going to be way up in that that kind of category as well. So I think absolutely like the profile is, is notably higher. Um, and I think it's only going to increase the rest of the year as long as they continue to play, you know, anywhere close to what they have. And, you know, Packers are irrelevant right now. They're out of the playoffs. The Brewers will be coming back. So, I mean, the Brewers coming off a good season. I think the state will obviously be interested in kind of what they're doing. But, um, you know, in terms of uh, playoff basketball, I mean, I mean, the city has always shown up for playoff basketball. Um, and so I'm, I, I can't wait to hear what the arena is going to be like during, you know, a playoff game when, it actually is like a team that, that should be winning playoff series. So I don't know that that's my, my kind of anecdotal um, kind of sense. I think, I, I don't know, just walking around a couple of times in downtown Milwaukee, it seems like there's a lot more bucks gear out there. Um, I think when I went to Bayshore mall, uh, I went to name of the game. I always go in there and look and it seems like there's more buck stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I think people are getting into it. I don't know about how much outside of the Milwaukee area, um, but it definitely seems like, you know, they're getting the due they were, they deserve. And to be honest, I think they're even getting, I mean, I don't feel like the Bucks are like not getting respect or attention nationally either. I feel like they're a great story. I mean, they're and, even getting idiotic takes from national people. Yeah. Like that means you've arrived, yeah. right? Like once, once the take havers start having bad takes about you, like you've, yeah. you've arrived in some ways. Yeah, and once the, and once they actually start having to watch your games regularly, then you've really arrived. <laughs> That's the yeah. only level you need to reach. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And uh, you know, I guess just speaking to it, obviously you kind of rattled off the stats there, but uh, you know, if you have fifteen sellouts already, and um, you know, there's been I think seven games now where they've been over one hundred percent capacity, and I know people are always up in arms about stadiums and arenas and teams lying about their capacity but i mean i mean all the sellouts that i've been at felt felt and looked pretty legit to me um i know there's there's people complaining about people not getting back to their seats early enough in the third quarter i would say i agree with that get back to your seats that i think they put like on the walls in the concourse like you have this much time until yeah. the game starts like i believe they do that so you have no excuses uh Make it just just plan it out a little bit better. Like just 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 get back there. I will say that that is a downfall right now. But during the regular season, I don't think it matters that much. As long as during the playoffs, you figure out that you should be back in your seat in time, that's totally fine. But you know, I think when you look at sellouts, uh, when you look at just general kind of awareness, I think the Bucks are certainly trending in the right direction. I know. Uh, Lockdown Bucks listener, and I don't even know—is he a meme lord? I guess he's a video lord. The Sith Justin lord. Superbuck? Uh, no, the Sith Lord oh. uh, just <laughs> put out a video. I don't—I don't know what to call him, um, but he just put out a video about how you know all the radio stations are still talking about the Packers and the Brewers, and uh, they're not focused on the Bucks, and it should be Bucks wall to wall. And 
I mean, uh, I would say that I think that probably just isn't realistic to believe is going to happen like immediately. Like the Packers are looking for a new coach. Like they are trying to think about who they're going to hire. So, you know, there is some intrigue there. Um, and, you know, like you're working against uh, a lifetime, uh, for some, a lifetime of futility for the Milwaukee Bucks. Like that, that is a very, that's a very real thing that's happened in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, more like the, the Brewers have gone further in the playoffs. What? Let's see. Three times more, three times they've gone further more recently than the Bucks. Uh, sad. The, the Packers. Yeah, yeah. Like the Brewers, like not, not uh, the Yankees, like the Brewers have done that. Uh, you know, the Packers have, have obviously won championships and stuff. So like, I do think you are, working against a really long time and a long buildup of, of kind of all of these things. And the other thing I would say is that, you know, I think, I don't know. I, I think it's been difficult to manufacture a lot of drama with this Bucks team this season. And obviously as people that record this podcast every day, we know all of our listeners are diehard Bucks fans and are here every day listening to us talk about the team. But I mean, we just recorded a, a podcast about the Pistons game where I was like, shit, man, what, what's there to talk about? The Bucks are good. And they were good again tonight. And they were better than the Pistons. And yeah, I think that's about all we got. And, you know, that's kind of what it's been this year. And I think the the, the real true drama is is kind of thinking about oh, what's going to happen in the future. And, you know, that that certainly fills some times and, you know, gets people to call into radio shows and get some hot takes. But I feel like in some ways it's been a little bit more difficult to create drama there than Aaron Rodgers shitting on his coach post game. Like, okay, we can talk about that all the, all day. Like that, that's super easy. So uh, I, I, I'm not trying to make any excuses for my media brethren, obviously, um, you know, kind of, where I am now. I'm all bucks all the time. So uh, that's been a very welcome uh, change in my life over at the athletic. But, you know, I think bucks fans are excited. I think bucks fans have shown that excitement through seeing more bucks here in the streets, attending more bucks games, the, the ticket prices of bucks games going up. Like uh, I think the cheapest ticket to get into the Raptors game this weekend, I haven't, I haven't looked in a little while. I think it's like 70 bucks and that's like a standing room only tick. Uh, like, that's significant, but that speaks to, I mean, maybe the biggest game of the year at Pfizer Forum. Like if we're really thinking about what it means for, for the playoffs and, you know, how good those two teams are, like this is, it's a huge game. It just absolutely is on Saturday. Um, so I do think there is, there's a level of excitement that, I mean, you know, we've seen in the playoffs, like you said, Bucks fans show out in the playoffs, always do, always have, always will. Um, but for a regular season team, like to already have whatever it is, 15 sellouts, like I think that speaks to obviously a new arena, but it also speaks to a level of excitement and excellence around the Bucks that hasn't been here in in a real long time. So I would say it's it's getting to be a bigger and bigger deal. Um, but you know, nothing can keep that momentum going other than winning and you do have to win a playoff series at some point. So that'll, that'll help build it. And then, you know, I think you can really get a, a cr over that peak. You can really get to that next upper echelon. If you have, you know, some extended playoff success this season. 
Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because I mean, I think a lot of times, especially like talk radio, a lot of the stuff is like kind of very like event driven. Um, and so like the Packers right now, like looking for a coach, things like that, like those are, you know, events or even like free agency in baseball, like, you know, those kind of, we start with the NBA, right? I mean, you know, back in my brew days, like the biggest traffic times of the year were like trade deadline, yep. draft, free agency. They were not Always. based on, and it was and it wasn't just because the Bucks didn't, <laughs> were not relevant from a playoff perspective. I mean, that was really true for, for pretty much every team. Um, and so I think, you know, some of the hype I think is just because the Bucks have been just kind of like generically just really good all year. <laughs> yeah. Like, like they have Giannis, but you know, they just kind of win a lot of games. And also, if you Giannis know, would like not dunk on someone in the most spectacular fashion every night, it would feel like more special when he did it. <laughs> like, like it, it, he has a lure dunk, and it's like, okay, well, that was great. But also, like he dunked on Jared Allen the other night. That was pretty cool. Like, yeah. Yeah. that's that's the ultimate uh, first world problem. But one hundred percent. Yeah, but I mean, even like you know, like big matchups at the Bradley Center like the first Raptors game was early in the season and the two best players didn't play. Um, You know, we did have the Warriors game. That's probably like the one that kind of really stands out, especially after the fact that the Bucks won in Oakland, Um, which probably makes it even more disappointing. The Bucks just sort of like really did not play up to their potential in that game. But Mm -hmm. other than that, I mean, like the Bulls suck. Like there's no like Brewers Cubs (laughs) type rivalry right now. You know, there's no like real hated sort of rival. Um, like even with the Raptors and Celtics who they've played in the playoffs, like those teams are really good, but it's just not like a natural, like, Oh, there's so much bad blood from the last 20 years. You know, so it's, it's kind of like, I don't know. There there's, as you said, it's kind of been kind of just drama free. Like, you know, like, what are you going to discuss on the radio? Like, it's basically just like, wow, the Bucks are awesome. Like, are they for real? Like, that's pretty much the only, you know, is Giannis the MVP? Like, those are the only kind of like discussions, and they're just sort of like, yes and yeah, okay, done. Yeah. Segment's over. Yeah, yeah, like, they're for but real. They're not and Giannis like, is the MVP. Okay, right, but they're it. not about anybody. Should anybody get fired? Right, they're no. not about who should you know you get with you know let's go dreaming of free agents or new coaches whatever so i think it just lends itself less to people talking and yet amazingly we do it for hours and hours and hours every week <laughs> yeah kudos to us i'm just gonna pat myself <laughs> on the back real quick here um but no it's, it's an exciting time to be a bucks fan and a bucks podcast so hopefully you guys uh have enjoyed this and also you've definitely shown us how excited you are with all of the questions so uh you know maybe we'll revisit this a little bit next week and try to hit a few more but for now that is going to be the end of our the end of this uh, for now we're gonna have to shut it down and that's gonna be it for us for today on lockdown bucks uh weekend coming up here hawks in town tonight uh back to first game of a back-to-back hawks are not very good bucks should take care of business but also this would be a classic trap game this would also be a classic thought maker analytics genius game uh where he figured out that the bucks aren't good on a lot of rest so maybe that'll happen uh in this game on friday and then obviously a huge game against the raptors on Saturday. So two big games or one big game and one other game that could be potentially dangerous coming up here for the Bucks. Uh, but that should get us through the weekend. So we will recap both those games and talk to you guys on Monday. For Frank, I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you next week.